These last weeks we've been sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn to pray. And he's taught us how he prays. We've noted to whom we pray and our first priorities in prayer as in life. And then we came to the first petition that has to do with our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Keep us alive, O God, and provide for us the things that will give us the strength and the health to be about our daily tasks. And the second petition has to do with what happens after we state our life. It is, in a sense, a searching point for all of us. Forgive us as we forgive. Forgive our debts to you, O Father, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. For it isn't enough just to be alive. For those who are alive can be miserable. Miserable in conflict and alienation, in despair. Miserable in bitterness and animosities. We see it in the world. We sense it within ourselves. The inability to get along with ourselves and with others, the inability of nations to be at peace and harmony within their borders as well as in international affairs, the inability of any institution or organization to have strength and unity within as well as to to reach out with, with an influence or a gift or a product. It all hinges in terms on this word that Jesus chooses when he teaches us to pray, forgive, as we forgive. This implies, of course, that we have a debt. Everyone does not believe this. Modern psychology tells us that Things happen in this world that are irregular, that ought not to be because they violate the moral structure of society. But this doesn't mean that these things are sins. In fact, there was a Frenchman, a reformer, who was called a saint who didn't believe in God. It says moral rearmament would teach us in the in the tradition of Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, who said there is within us all a thou shalt compulsion, a moral imperative to act and behave in society as we ought, because if we do not, we violate that which is good for all of us. Someone steals a wallet And they say, bad behavior needs to be readjusted to what is right and wrong for the good of mankind. Those of us who pray our Father who art in heaven say, that's a sin. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against our fellow man. 
where we're not behaving in a way that would please God is according to his moral standards. We offend him when we do not do with that which he has given us as we ought. And so there is a difference of opinion relating to the conception not only but the definition and therefore the results of guilt. We Christians look at the debt we have. Jesus assumed it was universal. In this dialogue with God, we're saying to him, forgive us our debt to you. That's where we start. As though all of us are debtors. How shall we look at that debt? For many of us, that debt has been a debt of violation, of sinfulness, of transgression, of missing a mark, in a rather accurate, measurable sense. We've lied, we've cheated, we've been deceptive, we've been dishonest, we've been hypocritical. And we read of others and we can clearly understand that murder and theft is wrong. And so we try to measure sin in terms of violation of law. And for those violations, we understand full well what it means to say, Lord, forgive us our debts. For we have done something that is wrong. But Jesus says there's a whole other dimension to this debt that we owe to God. It's a debt of omission, of things that we just have left undone, that have slipped right past us. And the reason they've slipped past us is because we aren't really interested in them. And this leaves us in debt to God. It's something like this, Jesus says. When the judgment will take place, we'll all stand before the judgment seat. And I will say to you, depart from me, I didn't know you. And you will say, but Lord, I prophesied in your name. Look at all I did. And you, the Lord will say, yes, but when I was sick, you didn't come to me. When I was in prison, you never visited me. I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, there was nothing at your hand to drink. And you will say, when did that happen, Lord? I don't understand that I ever did that or left those things undone. And he'll say, well, you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren. And you will say, I don't understand that. What have these least got to do with you? And then the Lord will say, by implication, you don't really care about me or what I care about. And therefore, you want to be free from guilt, all right, but you aren't doing anything that reveals your inner self. And you say, how can that be? 
Three or four years ago, when my wife and I were married, <laughs> we were finishing the last year's seminary, and we had no place to live for that year, and my parents were going away for several months. So they said, well, live in our home. So we did. And it came to be springtime. And we thought, now, this was very nice of them to let us use their house. And Mother always house cleans in the spring. You remember those days when we house cleaned. <laughs> and my wife said, you know, I think your mother probably does what my mother did. And she takes her mattresses out and beats them with the old beater. You remember those days? Well, we said, wouldn't that be nice to do? Mother will come back and she'll see her house spick and span. So I remember lugging these mattresses out on the airing deck over our garage and beating these mattresses. I can remember cleaning out the flower bin in the kitchen. You remember that? Flour gets all caked up in these bins. Well, we had that house all polished up nicely. And while we were working at all these things we really didn't care about, there was an exhilaration in this because in our minds we could see my mother's pleased face. We valued what she valued. We were grateful and responded in gratitude even though it was hard work. We didn't care. And there was no doubt in our minds or in my parents' minds that we loved each other in spite of the fact we didn't say anything about that. Now what the Lord is saying to us, you see, is I care about my people, my creatures fashioned in my image, and you look right past them. You never see that they have a need. And now you come and want to know how have we offended you, Lord? Oh, said Jesus, you didn't do anything aggressively wrong. You didn't beat up the furniture in my house. You simply neglected it all. And you gave no evidence whatever that spontaneously you care about what I care about. And I think there's not a person sitting here this morning that can say, Our Father who art in heaven, I have no debt to you. For we may not be murderers and we may not be cheats. And you may be a person of great integrity and you may be very outgoing and responsive to people, but... Have you ever cared because God cares? Has that been the spontaneity of your heart? Forgive me as I forgive. That's a way of life. And so God deals with that indebtedness. And when Jesus teaches us to pray this prayer, He's teaching us to say far more than, Lord, forgive the bad things I've done in violation of your law. He's also saying, 
Look within yourself to see whether you have indeed transgressed in areas of omission. And then come in repentance and say, I am sorry, Lord. I'll clean up my act. I'll get this house together. For I do love you. Now God deals with that debt and he cancels it. He's not unwilling to forgive. We don't have to qualify somehow for forgiveness. It's all by grace. The problem is he cannot forgive us. That is, he cannot be reconciled to us unless we've a heart of love for him. And where there has been a breach and transgressions, he had to deal with this. And so he did, and he gathered up all of the sins and all of those omissions and everything that's been done, and he focused it all on his son. He was no pilot in the skies looking down from on high to see at a distance the tragedies of mankind. Rather, he became incarnate and became one of us. He walked among us and lived with us. He was one of us. Finally, that deep divisiveness of sin cut into his life until on the cross he cried, Why have you forsaken me? That hell of separation caught up with him. And he took all of that guilt and shame on himself so that we can be free from it all. And in the power of his resurrection, as he's overcome and broke the back of sin, he comes now and offers us freely his spirit. It's within the life of that spirit that we cry, Abba, Father, that we can pray this prayer, that we have his heart. It is no longer I who lives, says Paul to the Galatians. It is Christ in me, and now I do see with new eyes. And I do love what he loves, and it is my delight I'm exhilarated when I'm doing what he wants me to do. And I can indeed say, Lord, forgive me as I forgive. I'm in the same mood. I have the same mind as you have. And those who have transgressed against me, I accept as you accept me. I understand. I go beyond the call of duty. I pursue those in need, though they haven't even asked. I will help. I will lend a hand even to my enemy and to those I don't particularly like. And so this prayer becomes, O oh God, make me sorry that I'm a poor steward, a self-centered person. I'm indebted to you for all you offer to me and your son. Make me whole as Jesus was whole.
We cannot be forgiven unless we too are forgiving persons. You see, forgiveness means reconciliation. It doesn't mean dropping by God's office and picking up a receipted bill. Somebody else paid. No, it means that you're one with each other, with yourself, with God. It has to do with a whole way of relating to this world. It has to do with being on the, on the same wavelength as God. It's a profound petition, is it not? Forgive us as we forgive. How does this work? It's not always easy for us to forgive. Dr. Lewis Smedes has written a book, Forgive and Forget. At the beginning, he tells a fable which I would like to share with you. It's a fable about a little town, Fakken, in the lowlands of Europe, territory called Friesland. There was a baker there and his wife, well known in the little village. And Fauke, the baker, was a very pious man. So pious that his righteousness just spewed out on everybody that came near him. And consequently, they stayed a little bit at a distance. And this aloof, hard-working man in the village was very active in the church affairs. And everyone respected him, the great man of God. He had a delightful little wife named Hilda, a very warm, comfortable person to talk to, a person who was outgoing and loving. And Falco paid little attention to those various qualities of his lovely little wife never doubted but what she was the proper kind of wife for a Christian baker. Well, one day he came home after baking and found his wife Hilda in bed with a stranger. And he chased the stranger out of the house. And of course in a little town everybody soon knew it and they wondered what Falco would do. The people in the church were sure he'd expel her. But Falca, in his righteousness, said, No, that's not right. I will forgive her. And so he accepted her back into his own life. And for all appearances, he had forgiven Hilda. But secretly, in his own righteousness, he knew he would never stumble into such sin. 
and he despised her. And little things he said would irritate her sensitivity and betray his feelings. Well, the village thought everything was fine, but this didn't set so well up in heaven. And so an angel came, and every time Falca had these thoughts of hatred and bitterness toward Hilda, the angel would drop a pebble into Falca's heart, and it would hurt him for a moment. Then as time went by and the pebbles continued to drop, they became heavier in his heart, and Falca began to bend with the weight and the pain until he was finally looking at all the world from a different angle. The angle that was the result of his self-righteous forgiveness. Finally, as he was completely stooped over and hurting for the pain in his chest, the angel came to him one night and said, Falca, there's something you need. You need magic eyes. He said, magic eyes? How do I get these magic? What are these magic eyes? The angel said, you need to see your wife, not as a wicked woman who betrayed you. You need to see her as a lonely, struggling person who loves you and who meant no harm to you, who's reaching out for something she felt she desperately needed. Falca said, yes, but the past is the past, and you can't eradicate that. No, said the angel, that's right, the past is the past. But you can relieve the guilt and the burden of the past. He said, how do I get these magic eyes? He said, you ask for them, and you long to see through them and they'll be given to you freely. And then, each time you look at Hilda, I will take one of the pebbles out of your heart, and you'll begin to feel like a new man. The angel disappeared, and Falca thought, well, I really can't forgive this woman for what she's done. In fact, he rather enjoyed his hatred. It gave him a feeling of some self-generating aggrandizement. After all, he was the pious one. But then as he thought his bad thoughts and he received even more chest pain, he finally decided, I need those magic eyes. And so he asked, and he began to see Hilda in a new sense. And each time he looked at Hilda with a new appreciation, the angel came and took one of those pebbles out of his heart, 
until Falco was standing straight and tall, seeing the world as he hadn't seen it for a long time, and the two of them began to live together a second season of humble joy. Now that is to see with the eyes of God and to forgive one who repents and to accept one back into intimate friendship and fellowship. And so we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <coughs> How do you do this? You pray for your friends. But you also pray for your enemies. And you pray for those whom you don't really like. And you pray for their well-being. And you pray that you may become involved in their well-being, in introducing good things into their lives. And you ask for those eyes of God you will be used to love those whom he loves and to be part of the world of which he's a part. Then you can pray that prayer for you will be forgiving as you want to be forgiven. For your stubborn feelings I have a suggestion and we all have those you find it difficult to bring yourself to a point of letting go of something that's so stubbornly entrenched. Someone has said, write it on a piece of paper. Whatever that bitterness, that hatred is, write it down. What's wrong with that person? Then read it aloud to God. then light a match to it. And in a kind of visible, physical way, you'll see your bitterness and hatred go up in smoke. And you'll be able to say, now I'm ready. And you'll call that person or you'll stop to see that person or you welcome that prodigal back. And you won't say anything about the money he squandered any more than the father did, but you welcome him back simply because he's your brother and your sister in Christ. And you'll be able to pray Forgive me my debts and trespasses as I forgive debts and trespasses. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this 
deep insight into our own hearts. What a changed world we would have if men and nations would forgive and forget, be reconciled and live in unity and harmony and peace. We find it in you, O God. Help us to be that leaven in this world, the leaven of forgiven and forgiving people who sincerely pray and who have been heard. Give us new eyes to see new relationships redeemed in the blood of our Lord. Amen.